0: been waiting for Dr. Hoyle's message to be available. It's my fault that it's not. We'll get it out there for you soon. i got to do it a different way. Authentic Living Today, that's the series we're going through. Today, the message is called to uniqueness, part two. There are several parts, and we have a list of the upcoming messages out there in the lobby. They're online as well. And the main title is, Why We're Different. If you don't mind, let's go ahead and launch right into the text, but we'll pause as we do. 1 Peter 2, 1, so. It begins with so. Like, therefore. What's the therefore, therefore? Why does it start with so? It starts with so, because we just got done talking about, a couple of weeks ago if you remember, that we are set apart. We're we're by God's hand. He has removed us from the world to live in it, but be holy, different. But why? He continues with, so. We'll read the rest of it now. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now there's a whole lot here in this chunk at the beginning of our text this morning. But let's go ahead and take it piece by piece, if you don't mind. He lists a few things, and three of which are kind of selfish in nature. We'll look at those first malice there's a lot of confusion as we look at these three selfish in nature things we there's a lot of confusion when we talk about gossip now i haven't been here very long and i haven't heard any that i'm aware of gossip so that's good good for you so i'm guessing that this might be a church that's not struggling with that at the moment, which is very good, because gossip is one of those things, it's horrible. If we get an opportunity, we'll talk more about it another time. Today, we're not talking about it because our text mandates it, it doesn't say the word, but we often get confused and we think gossip has to include malice, or it has to include one of the other words you see here, slander. It doesn't. But let's look at malice. Malice means you have ill will towards someone. Here's a difference. You can see if you're, if you're going down the road and somebody passes you going way over the speed limit. I mean, you yourself are pushing it. And then they go around you, just flying around you. Whoa. You could think, I hope they... Learn how unsafe that is. I hope they realize how unsafe that is and slow down before an accident happens. That, that's a good hope. You could pray that way. But if, if, you, if it switches, if it's the other way where you say, I hope they get a ticket, that's, you're hoping ill will on them. And you might even be crossing over into calling down curses on them, so you don't want to do that. You don't know what their situation is. You don't know what they're going through. You, you might be hoping that one more thing is added to their already complicated stress-filled life and that one ticket that you hope they get could unravel them emotionally so be careful you don't want to have ill will towards other people even if it in your mind seems justified you don't want ill will malice is wanting bad things to happen to somebody else wanting negativity to be on someone else. Now well, let's go ahead and look at that other one. I know I'm going to get back to the envy one, but slander. This is where the real confusion comes when we talk about the subject of gossip. People think that it's okay to gossip if you can tag this at the end of it. Well, it's true. Have you heard that? Have you heard someone gossip and then... Somebody says, says I, I don't want to hear that. That's gossip. And you say, well, it's, somebody might say, that's true. It's true. I mean, so, it, so it's not gossip. <laughs> if you're sharing somebody else's business that's not your business to be sharing, that's gossip. If it doesn't benefit in any way for you to be sharing that, that's gossip. Other people's, especially other people's, private business it's gossip true or not gossip doesn't have to be false for it to be gossip you do know this right slander is when you are sharing something that is false you see gossip and slander they don't have to be happening at the same time you could you could be sharing something that's true it's just not your business to be sharing it And it doesn't benefit anyone for you to share it. That is gossip. Are we clear? Okay. So don't slander either. If it's not true, obviously that's a very bad thing to be, passing around things that aren't true. Christians of all people should be surrounding ourselves, wrapping our minds with the truth, so why would we share things that aren't true purposely? Don't do that. Now let's look at that other third, that third selfish Thing, and that is envy. Let me let me be real clear on this. I'm going to give you something other than a Webster's dictionary definition. I'm just going to give you the practical definition of reality. Envy is any negative thoughts or emotions that you have connected to someone else's goodness. Someone else has success. Someone else has. Um, financial gain someone else has possessions someone else has it appears like the green is the grass is greener on the other side someone else has a better life and you know that's not true don't you but even if they have better health if you have negative emotions that come into you because someone else appears to be doing better in some way that is envy now wrap your head around that because our world seems to be very full of this. Have you noticed? I mean, if somebody, if we hear of somebody's great wealth that they've achieved, it's almost immediate that people assume they shouldn't have that. Have you noticed? This is kind of a, a thing, especially in America. Right? They shouldn't have that much money. Who needs that? That's, uh, that's not okay to have negative thoughts wrapped around somebody else's success. somebody else's good health or somebody else's positive things happening in their life at the moment. Having negative thoughts around other people's goodness is envy. We should be happy that other people are going through good times in their life at the moment. We should be happy that people are having success at the moment or having good health. Let me me explain something to you about selfishness. You got to know that Jesus set the prime example of selflessness, right? And if we want to be like him, we'll be selfless, more selfless. But selfishness, I don't know if you've heard of this or not, but selfishness is the root cause of all interpersonal relationship problems. Think about it. Either one person wants it their way and they won't give in, or maybe both people, maybe both parties if it's groups. But selfishness is the root cause of all interpersonal relationship problems. Somebody's being selfish. And if you think about that when it comes to churches that are having struggles with people within it, especially if there's a split or some sort of conflict where there's a potential split, it's always rooted in selfishness. Go back in history and you look at Christian churches and churches of Christ, you'll see that in pretty much any church, really. There's churches that have split over the color of the carpet. Think about that. How does that happen unless somebody wants it their color much more than somebody else? How about, how about the songs? I mean, churches of Christ and Christian churches notoriously have divided over music, some being the non-instrumental. And not all churches of Christ are non-instrumental, and not all Christian churches. Churches are instrumental, but there's, there's a major division there. And it's over instruments versus no instruments. Think about what we think in, in our modern world. Some people like traditional hymns. Some people like modern hymns or modern songs. It used to be, and I can relate, I grew up singing out of hymn books. So There's young people today that don't even know what that is. Because now we sing off the wall. <laughs> I love saying it that way. But 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 isn't it more about God's pleasure than ours? Are we not supposed to be worshiping him, not trying to do what feels best to us? Can can he not be pleased with our worship if we simply will just put our selfishness aside and worship him? So these Three things are all wrapped up in selfishness. And I want to back up because selfishness happens when there is a lack of humility. Humility is one of your greatest character traits as Christians. It's one of your greatest tools. And if the devil can really come in there and get you, he will by making sure you are not humble. I hope you follow that. One of the greatest tools of the devil is to make sure you are not humble. Humility can help us so much in our Christian witness. Now let's get to, I'm going to talk about that again in just a minute because I I, want to go back to it. But let's look at the other two words here. These have more to do with genuineness versus fakeness. And those words are deceit. You know, the devil is known as the deceiver. Why in the world would we want to align ourselves with that? If we are being deceitful, we are aligning ourselves with the king of deceit, the devil himself. And that's phony. That's fake. And the second word is hypocrisy. And I don't know if you've been told, hypocrisy, the the word used there, is used to describe someone who is an actor, someone who puts on a different face, to present themselves in a way that is, is not true. Someone who puts on a front, someone who pretends to be something they're not. That, that's the example of hypocrisy. So there's five things here. <laughs> he starts off in chapter 2 after he says, we're to be different, we're holy, we're set apart, and he says, so, there's five things to work on. I want to talk before we move to the second part about that selfishness one more time because I learned something myself many years ago when I was allowed to go on an inner city mission trip and we went to Hartford, Connecticut and did some there, did some in New York City and in my time there uh, I I had a very great learning moment and I I don't know how else to, to project that for you to experience it except for to tell you quickly what happened. So We entered into this old house. It was an old house. I don't know what it was before it was used for what we were able to see. But it was a very old house. And all these houses were very close together, like you can imagine, in that part of the world. But a very old house. And and we entered into, we learned what it was. It was a transition house that really wasn't a transition house in the way we think of it. it. It's for adults who need supervision. Adults who aren't fully uh, mentally capable of handling life on their own. So they transition away from their families and into this place where they have a a room and they have adults in there who help them through life. They they tend to get jobs, help them find jobs, and they come here and they get coached through the, the regular daily routines. So we come into the main area. It's kind of like a big living room in the front of it. It's a lobby, is the way they're using it, and and we see a guy, who who just came in before us, and he's carrying an aluminum lunch pail, and he's got a hard hat, and he's got suspenders, and and he goes over. He's got work boots, and he's taking these things off and setting them down on a shelf, and he hangs his hard hat up, and and uh he's, he's uh, heavy set, he's uh balding and uh he he looks like he's had a rough day of work he's and he turns around and i'm thinking um this must be one of the workers here and he and he and he says he turns around looks at us and he goes hi and I'm like, okay he's not one of the workers here and i'm and i suddenly am thrust into a world like ah this is why i came here i grew up with uh a cousin that could not take care of himself at all, and so we all shared responsibilities at times in helping. And I've been drawn to that. I, I like doing that. And this particular trip helped me even more, like doing that, because I learned something. So we went walking around, uh, getting the grand tour. There was a Down syndrome grown woman who was very short, and she was standing right there at the doorway, and. As she's there, she's, she's so excited to see guests coming by. She's very excited. And as we walked past her room, it was very clear that she wanted more attention than she was getting. And so she said to us, would you like to see my room? Of course, everybody else didn't seem to know what to do with it. And having a little bit of experience, I said, yes, I would love to see your room. So I made everybody stop. They had to wait on me. And she gave me a little bit of a tour of her room. What was in her room? She showed me her bed. There's my bed. She showed me her little dresser. There's my dresser. There's my picture. Picture was of herself. No family members. Nobody else. It was the only picture in the room. Her clothes. It looked to me like she didn't have enough clothes to last her all week. But she was so proud to show me her clothes. She was proud to show me her one pair of shoes. There's my shoes. Her room was empty, in my opinion. She had nothing. But she was so happy that she could show me what she did have. And I thought, wow. I don't appreciate life. I don't appreciate what I have. Here's somebody who has nothing, not even family, apparently. And She appreciated what little she had. I felt so small. I thought, i got to learn to appreciate things. And I think sometimes I think too selfishly. And that always reminds me when I think of that story. How to appreciate what we have and not want what we don't have. Can we look at that other part? Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. Now this is cool. I'm sure you've learned through life you need your spiritual nourishment as you go through as a Christian. And I'm sure you can relate it to this right here where we as humans need our nutrition. And especially in our developmental phases of life. It's vital if a newborn baby has to have, especially great if the newborn baby can have his, his or her mother's milk. That's great. If they can be nourished as the, in their infancy and on up properly as they grow, then they can grow up and have a better chance of physically developing properly. But if they are malnourished, we know what happens. They don't develop properly. They can't function through life like the rest of us. They struggle. And I hope you're connecting the dots here. Peter has written, if you remember, he's writing to Christians that feel like they have been under a lot of persecution. They're suffering. These are Christians. And he's writing this and is dispersed to these Christians that are struggling, but he's reminding them, you need to be spiritually growing. You need to be consuming the training, the goodness of God through His Word. You need to be developing spiritually so that you can handle life like Christians are supposed to be able to. Why would Peter say this unless we, too, need to be reminded? We need to get our nourishment like newborns need. We need to, for our own salvation, it's not a one-time thing that you say, okay, yes, I want to have Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and then you get baptized, and then it's over. You did it. No. He's reminding these Christians that are undergoing persecution, he's reminding us as we go through the struggles of this pandemic we're going through in life right now and all these other things that we as individuals are going through, he's reminding us you need to feed yourself. You need to be nourished. Your salvation is a thing that it's something you have to be growing to stay close to Jesus If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now, Peter has really gotten wise as he's grown in his faith. And God inspired him to write this so eloquently, if you think about how that flows, you need nourishment. You understand this if you have tasted that the Lord is good. You, you've tasted that. Keep on consuming the goodness of God. Do nothing. Out of, I'm sorry, I'm taking you to Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, because I want to talk to you about selfishness one more time. Do nothing out of selfish, selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. It's vital if we can wrap our heads around and put into practice this concept of putting others ahead of us, thinking of others as better than us. Don't you think Jesus did that very well on the cross? He could, have, he could have easily not gone ahead. In fact, he struggled with it. He said, may this cup pass from me, but your will be done. And he went ahead and did the Father's will. Sacrificed his life so that we could take part in his grace. We could learn from him and be selfless. And what does that look like in practical, everyday Christian living here at Central Kitsap Christian Church? Well, there's different ways. And let's just go ahead and think about Resurrection Sunday. It's coming up in a couple of weeks. In order to get, prepare for that, there's, there's a good chance there there's going to be some more people here. I mean, we're missing some today. But there's a good chance that some that we've been missing for a while might come. Now, let's... Think it through. You already know. I've told. I think everyone here. You already know. I've had both my COVID shots a while back. I'm way past the time where I am. I'm protected with the, my vaccinations. Did I? Did I think it was a great thing for me to do that? No. But in order for me to do baptisms at the prison, I have to do that. But I still have to wear a mask. And I don't even know that the masks do a whole lot of good. I wear a mask here with you because if it is going to do some good, I don't want to take it back and create a a big outbreak at a prison where there's a lot of Native Americans in that surrounding community that could also end up, I could kill off all the elders. I told you this before. So I'm trying to think of other people. I hate wearing a mask. I absolutely hate it. I even bought these different plastic and silicone things that push it away from my face. I have to wear a mask all day long, Monday through Friday. And sometimes my hours start at 6 or 7 in the morning and go till past 9 at night, and I am sick of wearing a mask. But I'm going to wear a mask, and I'm going to be even more careful to try to wear a mask on Resurrection Sunday here, because there's a very good chance that some of the people who haven't been here are uncomfortable getting close to people that aren't wearing masks so even though i might be comfortable with it i'm going to think selflessly now i don't know this person that's about to walk toward me i'm going to put my mask on because i don't want to ruin an opportunity Is there a chance that somebody might come in these doors on Resurrection Sunday and might just be thinking, you know what? I'm going to try Central Kitsap Christian Church and try it. Things are falling apart, they're unraveling in my life, and I need to be in church. Is there a chance somebody might come in on Sunday morning that's thinking that way who also might be afraid of walking up to me if I don't have my mask on? There's a chance. Yeah, there's a chance that somebody might walk in the door who I need to try church and they might think that masks are absurd and they don't wear a mask anywhere and they look at me and think I'm a goofball for wearing a mask because I think I'm a goofball for wearing a mask. But anyway, as they walk up to me, they could think, yeah, what's he doing? But I'm going to try to be as selfless as I can be and I don't want to throw a roadblock in front of somebody if God is trying very hard to get somebody's attention. I don't want to mess that up. And just so you're aware, I don't know of anybody's opinion in here about masks. I don't. I haven't asked you. Nobody's told me. So I don't know. So this, if you're taking this personal, great. You should. <laughs> because maybe it was meant to be. But it's not between me and you. Because I don't know your perspective. I really don't. Here's another thing. Resurrection Sunday, a selfless act, could be. Um, what if there's so many people in here that you might not get to sit where you like to sit? What if there's, what if there's people in here Maybe some of your neighbors you've invited over and over again, or a coworker or, or a, maybe a classmate and family that your kids invited, and they just show up and a bunch show up all at once, and now like, oh my goodness we're really going to have struggle to struggle with this social distancing now, and we're supposed to be doing that uh, oh what, what if what if there's and now we're supposed to are we not moving into phase three tomorrow? Is that what we heard? And I think we are so what if we have a whole bunch of people in here and, and we can't all fit in here? Are some of us going to be selfless enough, willing to sit out there, even if we don't hear very well? You, you right, play that out in your mind. Uh, what, what if you come into the parking lot and it's full or getting full and you're thinking, oh my goodness. I went to a church in Louisville, Kentucky. I hope you get to go. If you've never been to Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, you really need to go. Stephanie wants to go, too, because we uh, during the whole pandemic thing, we were doing online church with them, and it's a special church. They, ha- they run like 30,000, and it's the friendliest church I've ever been to, and I- that's no joke. They are very friendly. But in that parking lot, I've had people complain, like, I had to park too far away. Can't believe it. So many people here. I had to park too far away. In Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky, their handicap parking is further away. <laughs> is further away than our most distant parking spaces here. They have like golf carts that pick up the handicap from the handicapped parking. <clears throat> but I don't know. Play that out in your mind and see where God takes it and See what you can do to be selfless here. I want to talk to you about that spiritual nourishment and that development a little bit more. And I to reference two books. Jim Putman wrote a book. And Jim Putman, anybody here heard of him? Raise your hand high. Jim Putman wrote a book called Church is a Team Sport. Jim Putman um, he went to Boise Bible College, one of our missions. Remember me up here, I, I told you that during the pandemic, there was a church that had a ton of baptisms. You remember me telling you that story? That's his church. And he wrote this book, and I, I found some golden nuggets of information in there, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you something that I kind of put together with, after reading that book. And, and also another book called The One-Minute Manager, written by Ken Blanchard. And, and he wrote, he's written six, uh, 60 more than 60 books. Now, this is just his most popular one. He's one of these guys that's gone around and trained major corporations. I could rattle them off, but many of them are right out of Seattle. Trained the leadership in major corporations. Both these guys are Christians. And both of them have some pretty, pretty good ideas about how to develop spiritually. And so I put some things together, and I want to, I want to give you a little bit in, in a small piece right behind me I'm going to show you some little diagram that I came up with and it's based on those two guys information what we tend to do if we are going to teach someone how to drive a car this is the way it's done today you put them in a driver's education course you teach them so if you're going to draw this chart up behind me like you see it, what you would write beside 1.0 would be teach. That would be the first thing. Teach them all about what driving a car is about. Then, after that's happened, then you go to the second level, which would be show. You take them into the vehicle. And the teacher is at the wheel. Driving around. Notice how I slowed down long before I got to the intersection. Notice how I turned my blinker on before I changed lanes. All those things you're showing. So that would be what you write show for two. And then the next step, you you, you write watch. So 3.0 would be watch. That's when the student is at the wheel. And the teacher is, is in the passenger seat with an emergency brake. There's always access to the emergency brake because you want to coach them and you also want to prevent an accident if they begin to make a mistake you stop them you help them so you you teach you show you watch and the fourth one you want to write down release that is a very good way you let them drive now and you get their driver's license and they drive so that's the, the order that's a very good order but we don't always do this well in the church what we usually do in the church is, could we have someone who would volunteer to teach the five and six-year-olds? We need, we need a volunteer. No volunteers? We really, If we don't have somebody who's going to teach the five and six-year-olds, six then we just, we're not going to have a class. So do we have a volunteer? And then somebody, uh, okay, I'll try. Great. Then we hand them the curriculum and sell them the 9.30 in the classroom, so-and-so. They will be there Sunday morning. So we don't teach, show, watch, and release. We just simply release, and we burn out our teachers. Here's an ideal way. It takes more people and more time, more effort, more selflessness. You teach them. This is what we want to do when we teach. You show them. I'm going to hook you up with this teacher who's teaching a different age group, but I want you to be in there and observe how they do it. And, and you can ask questions afterwards if you want. They can be a mentor to you. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and connect you to that teacher. And sometimes you might not. Sometimes you might connect to another teacher. But you, I'm going to connect you to that teacher. And then I'm going to have you teach their class with them right in the room with you. In case something goes wrong, they'll be there to rescue you. They'll be there to coach you. And then when you're ready, we'll release you. Why am I showing you this? Because I think this is also what we also fail in a church sometimes in how we disciple people. I think this church is making a grand effort in doing very good discipleship, and I'm glad to see that. Instead of just, hey, you're baptized, bye-bye, you're good, you're good. This church actually takes people through a discipleship process. And it's good if we can have one like this, where you teach them, where you show them, you, you know, what, what, the way you would show them is you would you have them involved in ministries in the church where they can come to a worship service and see how Christians behave in small groups. They interact and they do things with them. They see how it happens. And then you get them to, to a point where they are in some service where they are actually doing some of it with your, somebody coaching them nearby. And then you release them. And by the time you're releasing them, you've taught them how to get someone into that 1.0 level. The discipleship continues. You're, you're making disciples of disciple-makers. That's the way that works. It's the way it's supposed to work. It's not the way we always do it, but that's the way it works. Here's what my contention is. I want to share this rather candidly with you. Most people get stuck in 2.0. That's where they land. It's the, it's the place where you should land for a long time. This is the place where you discover online resources for christian books and videos and stuff like that it's a place where you just love your church so much it's like oh my goodness i finally found my church home i've been longing for this and that you love this and you love the songs and you love everything about all of the things that are going on in your spiritual life and you just and you love your small group and you love the how you get a good parking space in the parking lot and you get a good seat in the In the worship space, in fact, you sit in the same place probably more often than not because that's yours. But people get stuck in 2.0. They get stuck and they get to a point where they don't even realize how they're stuck. We need to advance and get to a point where we are actually doing service in the church. Serving, not just being a spectator, but actually being involved doing something for the Lord with your local body of believers. If you are not to that point, you might want to back up for a minute and ask yourself, am I stuck? People that are stuck will say things like, I cannot believe how many cars were in the parking lot. I couldn't even hardly find a place to park. I had to loop around a couple of times. This is, this is, this is a problem. People that are stuck think like that. People that aren't stuck think like this. Oh, my goodness, the church parking lot was so full, I had to park around on the other side. I had to go down, down the hill and park. Isn't that exciting? You should do it with me so there's more space. That's the people that are unstuck. People that are stuck say things like, I can't stand those new songs. I just don't like them. I like the songs that I grew up with. I don't want the new songs. And I've been stuck many times we need to advance. We need to be thinking selflessly, not selfishly. And if we are not nourishing ourselves, if we are not growing, then we are stuck. And when we're stuck, we become roadblocks for other people. And I'll stop with all that. 1 Peter Chapter 2, verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, the living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Hebrew writer talks to us about that. To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Spiritual growth. There's a wonderful concept there about this um, the capstone, and it continues here. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 6, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. That's a quote from Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16. The idea is everything in Christ building His church is built on Christ. All of it. He is the cornerstone, the capstone, the headstone, however you want to translate it. Look at this. Verse 7 in our text. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. That's from Psalm 118.22. And look at verse 8. A stone of stumbling and a stone of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do so. And that's a quote from Isaiah chapter 8, verse 14. I don't want to get into, and we can talk about it if you have questions that are really weighing heavy on you, we can talk about uh, this concept of being predestined. But God's sovereignty works like this. He knows the decisions we're going to make before we make them and that doesn't mean he controls us to make us make them so he's just sovereign and if you don't understand that we can talk about that but you because you have decided to follow christ you are destined for success in spreading the good news and enhancing and growing the kingdom look at verse 9 i'm going to also read verse 10 but you are a chosen race a royal priesthood Paul writes in Romans, he talks about this, we've been grafted in. That's what he's talking about. We have been, because we accepted Christ, we have now been accepted as God's people. A special group. We're not like the world. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter is setting us up. There's a lot he's going to say in these letters, but one thing we need to know is we are not alone. We might be going through difficulties in this life, and you might feel alone. You might even be, you might even live in a house with a whole bunch of people. You might, you might be surrounded by people who call themselves Christians and still feel very isolated and alone. But you are never alone. And Peter is reminding us of this. We are a group of people, even if we're separated, even if we feel alone. We are God's chosen people. And we have received Christ's mercy. Don't forget that. Verse 11, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. We don't belong here. Yes, people make us feel like we don't belong here. The more you try to stand up for Christian principles, the more others will make you feel alone. To abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. That is exactly what it does that's why I emphasize selfishness versus selflessness when we, are, when we are chasing after our passions we are being selfish and this rages war against our soul there are things that are constantly pulling at us away from Christ you right here in this room it's not a coincidence that you're here It's not a coincidence that you're hearing these words right out of God's Word. And maybe a little bit of some of my words that might help you focus on God's Word and trying to live it. It's not a coincidence. And for a moment, I'm standing right here on the stage and you're here. But somebody might be listening to this recorded and online. And it's no coincidence that they too are hearing these words. And if it makes you uncomfortable when I stand up here and say something like that, why would he say that? We're right here in the room. Why is he saying that for somebody who might be listening to it online? Stop. Stop those selfish thoughts. Wouldn't you just love it if somebody you've been praying for that's not here right now, that couldn't be here today, maybe not maybe it's, it's, it's good that they were not here. Maybe they, they had something they were going through and they couldn't be here. But wouldn't you just love it if they happened to get online later and listen and draw nearer to God? Wouldn't you love that? Even if you don't, the Lord does. So, so think selflessly. That's why I said it the way I said it. Because I know it could upset some people. <clears throat> 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12 is where our text wraps up. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Now that's an interesting thing because now you are people that you are a called people. You are set apart. You are different. You are a chosen race because you've been accepted, because you accepted Christ as your King of kings and Lord of Lords. You're now in. And those who haven't accepted him, he's referring to them as Gentiles. Keep your conduct among the non-believers, if you want to say it that way, honorable. So that when they speak out against you as evildoers, in other words, they are saying you're bad. And if you don't know it, they're waiting for that. They long for that. I see it on a regular basis. I work in an environment in a prison where some officers are constantly looking for faults in the inmates. They think that's their job. But it even, it's even worse. Some officers are constantly looking at faults in the inmates that now claim Christ as their Lord and Savior. If they make a mistake, oh, the officer relishes in it. Uh-huh. I just heard that one cuss. He calls himself a Christian. Christians cuss. And they, they, in in outside the prison environment, in your world, at work, at school, even in your own family, people that are not believers are just looking for the chance to see you as a hypocrite. Because they see all Christians as hypocrites. They see the whole thing as worthless. But if they see you as one that when you do make a mistake, you own it, you apologize. I shouldn't have said that. You're right. shouldn't have come out of me. That's not pleasing to my Lord. And it upsets me when I make a mistake like that. It upsets him more when you you actually see it. So I'm I'm sorry for setting a bad example. I'm going to keep working on that. Because I I know that I can do better. Thanks for pointing it out to me. That right there, when you live honorably among other people, it puts a chink in their their, uh, weaponry against you. Because you're living honorably. And you look real. So that when they speak out against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And this reminds me of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. Remember this? You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do you, do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. It gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Christians, if people who are not believers see that we are being genuine in our daily walk, yes, we're going to mess up. But if they see us shining our light in this dark world, it will make a difference. If we can make their lives a little bit brighter because we live right, we try to do our best in front of them, living selflessly, as we're called, then we will be setting the example that is pleasing to our Lord. Now the, mes- the series is Authentic Living Today, and the message specifically called to uniqueness, part two, why we're different, the answer to that is back at the beginning in verse, if you'll look, verses two and three. Look at this. It says, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. You have, haven't you? You've tasted that the Lord is good. <laughs> and then he says in verse 2, if you back up a little bit, he wants us to grow up into salvation, and getting that spiritual milk. You see, why we're different is because we know that the Lord is good. We have tasted that the Lord is good. He has sacrificed His life selflessly so that we can take part in His grace and spend eternity with Him. That's why we're different, because of what the Lord did for us. We're set apart because we want to honor Him. And I want to go back to those 1.0, 2.0, 3.0, 4.0. I want to encourage you to keep that growth cycle going. Don't get stuck in a place where you want to have it your way. You don't understand why the changes have to come. You don't understand things that in your mind you're thinking selfishly. And I want to take you back to a place when I first began preaching here, I talked to you about neuroplasticity. Do you remember that? If you don't remember that, you can get online. The messages are all there. When your mind is thinking a certain way for a extended period of time, it gets stuck there. and You just naturally think that way. And there's a reason why we're told to repent constantly throughout Scripture, and I'm telling you today, that's a big word today, repent. If you want to think in a way that's pleasing to the Lord, don't get stuck. Constantly be growing and learning. And even today, you can even get to the point where, you know, i got to stop thinking selfishly. You know, when the preacher was talking about masks earlier, maybe I was thinking selfishly. When the preacher was talking about this or that or whatever, I was thinking, maybe I was thinking selfishly. You know what? Why don't you take a moment and join me in prayer? And we'll wrap this up. And I'm going to pray that each one of us learn to be less selfish. God, Forgive us when we are not humble enough to live selfless lives. Lord, I'm afraid there's opportunities that I have failed you when I have not been humble enough to be selfless. And Lord, I'm afraid that some of my brothers and sisters here have also failed you when they were not humble enough to be selfless. Lord, I know that There's bound to be some here in this room that have been selfish as a spouse. Even though they love their partner, they, they want it their way too much. And Lord, I ask that you would help them to represent you better in being selfless. Lord, I know that there are, there is bound to be some people here in this room who have thought selfishly in other areas of their lives. And I know I have. God, I ask that you would help us. God, right now I'd like to, um, since we're all praying together, Lord, my voice for everyone's here, each one of us, I'd, I'd like to ask, Lord, that you would reveal to us as we ask you Lord, have I done something selfish lately? Have I been thinking selfishly lately? If so, please free my mind and get it back on track. Give me back to that cycle of spiritual growth so that I don't get stuck and become a roadblock for others as you have become a roadblock because others choose not to believe. Thank you for being the capstone, the center of it all, for building everything on a solid foundation for us. Help us to do our part. In Jesus' name, amen.